0: difficult news story week there's no question about it we left um the airwaves at nine o'clock last week on friday and um this horrible story that happened at young and king that that really isn't related to transit um you know hit, basically hit all our airspaces, and it was like a punch in the gut and i think we've had a lot of subsequent punches in the gut the hope is to minimize these stories the hope is to turn some of these narratives around um those of us who like good news stories more than bad news stories would would love to talk less about these obvious things. So a move made yesterday to put more police on the scene. Um, some will be undercover, some will be in uniform, but it is going to be noticeable. And I think you'll you'll spot it pretty instantaneously. John Birdside is the chair of the TTC, a former police officer as well, and the counselor for uh, Don Valley East. Thanks for joining the show on short notice, John. I really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure, Greg.
0: When you get elected in the fall and, and then you get named TTC chair, you, you probably didn't forecast the January that we've all seen. It's um, it, this is a big challenge. It's a big challenge for a lot of people involved to, uh, to sort of not just change the narrative, but, but turn some of the, the data around and, and get people confident in, in riding transit.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's a bit of a tsunami. And uh, of course, the question is, how do we, how do we reverse um, what's going on?
0: So yesterday's announcement, what what is, what do you think it does for consumer confidence?
1: Well, I think uh, it's 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 a necessary first step, but it's only one step, and it's uh, obviously more of a shorter term solution. Uh, Longer term, we have to uh, you know look at all the the mental health supports and 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 what's going on in our city as a whole. Um, but short term, for sure, uh, I think people are going to feel safer. I know I was in New York before Christmas and seeing mm. two police officers at the entrance to the subway. I felt safer. Um, But it's also having people present where uh, there's riders can actually report uh, things. Currently, you know, if there's a very serious situation, someone has a knife, you hit the yellow strip on a train. If it's just someone sleeping, you may or may not report it. But it's those people in the middle who are in obvious signs of distress and who might be escalating uh, their, their behavior where you need someone um, that you can reach out to quickly uh, and you may not want to hit the yellow strip on the train and who can deal with it, whether it's police uh, intervening or getting streets to homes workers there quickly, whatever the case is.
0: So most of these will be, um, if I understand, off-duty officers in an overtime capacity. Are those off-duty officers that are volunteering for the overtime? Will, will, people, will cops be asked? How will it work?
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm not, uh, I can't speak for the chief of police, but my understanding is, of course, you can't uh, force officers to take uh, that, that type of overtime, or you can't force them to do pay duties or whatever the case might be. So I, I suspect it will be on a volunteer uh, basis.
0: There's so much there isn't there with with um, and I, I know there's people and, and people who are going to criticize the adding of cops saying well this won't be the only thing that changes it but there isn't any one thing there is no one magic uh, solution to, to turn this around this is going to be about five or six different puzzle pieces and they'll all have to sort of fit together and bake together over time won't they.
1: Well, that's right. And I mean, short term, the, the the thing that we can do the quickest and I think is probably the most effective in the short term is getting that sort of surge of um, uh, the number of police officers. But absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, when we have a situation, you know, in these random attacks, I think they're probably more there's more of a mental health angle to it. And the question is, um, you know, Why is is it escalated? Is it other municipalities, which I actually worked in the encampments uh, Mm. for a year and a half before this position. Speaking to people, uh, I know for a fact, well, I can't necessarily prove it, but speaking to the people in the encampments, they're given tickets to come to Toronto. Right, so are we? Are other municipalities sending uh, people who need help to Toronto for that help? And are they overloading our system? Are they concentrating the number of people who need help? I mean, that's just one slice of the the uh, problem, and that's why I uh, wholeheartedly support the mayor's call for a for a uh, national summit, as it were, on uh, the mental health crisis that we're 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 facing.
0: I'm glad you said that, John, because you bring up that one scenario where it, you, things just seem to intersect and conflict. It it is. Is the city where you could get the most help in if you're struggling from from mental health issues and have been for a long time it's also the most expensive city and i i would make the case if you are suffering from an addiction it's got the most temptation here like it it, it just it has that so some of these things intersect where you can get the help but you can also fall right off off the path of getting back to your life to a more positive uh, a positive sense
1: well, well, you're bang on, Greg. And uh, I would say that there's more temptation than there is help. And that's, mm-hmm. that's one of the challenges, right? I mean, when we're talking mental health, of course, this is all you know, health care is a uh, provincial responsibility. And we're, this the City of Toronto especially, is having, having to step into that breach. But where is the province in all of this? And where is the actual strategy? I think people feel that we're just going from one crisis to the other. Let's have a, uh, a robust strategy. But we need to get the province and actually the federal government when it comes to housing uh, to the table.
0: John Burnside, our guest councillor for Don Valley, East Chair of the TTC, joining us on Toronto Today. Um, as a former police officer, what's your reaction when you just hear and read all the stories of Of the young people like kids 13 to 16 they are still kids it doesn't mean they shouldn't be accountable for their own actions but most of us are just beyond shock because we used to be that age and we knew we knew the distinction between you know acting out and a prank and this and that and just random wanton violence and obviously that this hit um this hit 100 miles an hour before christmas with the story of of the 18 age girls arrested You you probably never saw anything like this as a police officer starting out, did you?
1: No, and I mean, you know, I was a police officer for 10 years, uh, about 20 years ago. So mm-hmm. um, definitely seemed like a different time. It's, it appears that the uh, age of, a, I'll say, delinquency, and I'm not talking about, the you know, the, the, the random uh, stuff that kids do, but mm-hmm. the actual serious crimes, um, it's getting younger and younger. And this has been happening in the States. I mean, there are well-documented cases mm-hmm. of 12-year-olds murdering people in the States. And, you know, now we're in Toronto, we're at 13 year allegedly uh, 13-year-old girls. But you know, um, kids. The, where kids have the most influence or get their uh, the greatest influences are parents. And I think at some point, as a society, society, we also sort of say, hey, what's the personal responsibility of parents? And I know that's a larger discussion as well. And once again, government seems to always have to step into the breach. And I get it, but once it's got to be a coordinated uh, approach. Like, why, if you know, if these if these girls did uh, are actually found guilty and, and and did commit that crime, like, why are they wandering around, uh, looking to do that sort of thing?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's been a long history of youth justice, and obviously, the Young Offenders Act was changed. Something I remember. Um, as a kid thinking about and talking about it, and it, it, it morphed into the Youth Criminal Justice Act, but I, I just find there's an awful lot of people, because um, to me, this, this is not sometimes a you know, economic desperation. This clearly isn't ho- a, a homeless issue. There are obviously 13, 14-year-olds that are on the street, but the ones that are committing crimes are leaving a home in the morning and going back to the same home that night, and this is just a matter of, of accountability and, as you say, delinquency, it feels like.
1: Well, absolutely, and I think that you just hit on a really important point is that we often conflate issues mm-hmm. uh, we, we conflate poverty with uh you know uh, criminal behavior is there is there is there a link maybe, but that doesn't speak for everyone we all, and we also talk we, uh, conflate homelessness and mental illness. absolutely, there's a relationship, but is every person who's uh, acting out in a violent way uh, you know as a result of mental illness, are they all homeless? right? I mean, we need to ask those sorts of questions. We need to understand exactly um, where the problem, you know, the background and the problems, where they're coming from, as opposed to making these wide statements about, okay, we just need more housing. Absolutely. But housing alone has to be supportive. And there are a lot of other steps. And sometimes I think as politicians and as a society, we simplify things when they're actually complex,
0: John, how much before you go? How much time do you need um, for some of this um, impact and some of the changes, and, and and more police to sort of bake in and, and look at data and say we think we might have something here um, amongst other issues, and think that it's working? Do you need a month? Do you need a couple months? When, when would when would the tide turn based on numbers you'd look at?
1: Well, I'm hoping in days. Right, I can't. You can't guarantee anything, but I know the chief did mention that you know where those 80 officers are going to de- be deployed is all going to be data-driven. So, what time of day do most of these incidents occur, or, or is it a specific streetcar uh, line, or is it certain subway stations? Because of course, the police can't be everywhere. You wouldn't need, you know, you need a lot more than 80 officers, but we need to get the uh, maximum benefit out of their presence, hopefully their deterrence and hopefully de-escalation of situations. So that's going to be data driven. It's going to change over time, but I'm hoping it's a matter of days, not weeks.
0: John Burnside, thanks so much for the time today. Um, have a great weekend and, and thanks for letting us reach out to you on short notice. I hope we can do it again. These are such important conversations and, and you got a huge role in this. Thanks so much.
1: Thanks, Greg. Have a John, John
0: Burnside joining us.